perspectives, in my opinion, are what fuel your next step. Whether it's to engage in business or not, at least you're very clear on what you're doing if you're able to see all sides of the table. Thanks for tuning in to the Purposeful Story Podcast, where purpose drives our actions and our actions are a result of our purpose. When you have a strong enough purpose, every action you take in life has meaning and power to it. Every entrepreneur is on a journey to fulfill their purpose, and the world needs to hear it. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. Hello, Purposeful Story family. Today we have Inswani. He is a relentless go-getter in the fitness industry. Um, He has put the 10,000 hours that's needed um, to become a true powerhouse in fitness. Um, And the interesting thing about Inswani, I used to work with him a while back when I was working uh, with Good Life at the front desk. And, um, you know, you can tell that he lives a very purposeful life and he stays in his lane. Um, that's, that's really, really key. That's something that I struggle with myself. Doing too many things at once, you lose focus, um, and you can't maximize your productivity. So, um, and he's just amazing at just being curious and always seeking knowledge and growing. So, and Swanee, thanks for coming on the show today. No problem. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, so just to start off, I'm curious to know, what was your morning routine like today? For me today, today's a bad day. It's the day after the Super Bowl. Mm. Uh, so it started two hours late. <laughs> But um, I think if you're asking me what my normal morning routine would be like, mm-hmm. right. So, uh, I have two kids, a uh, four-year-old and an uh, eight-week-old. Mm. So, my, my thought process in the morning is beat them. Because <laughs> beat the kids. Beat them out of bed. Because <laughs> if I don't get them out of bed, it's the, their morning takes over mine. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of my philosophy with most things. So, I run a team of about 15 people and they service another 150 people. And they're all go-getters and early risers. So, I get up at 5 a.m. Uh, I get up at 5 a.m. I have a routine where I use either a avocado oil or a um, grapeseed oil. And I gargle with it and try to get uh, any mucus. toxins, mucus throughout, the, throughout sleep or the night before out of my system. Uh, especially because I use my voice quite a bit. I'm always talking. So, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that's healthy. And I learned that over the years from getting, you know, strep throats and, and other ailments from not projecting my voice properly when I either presented or talked to people. Mm. Uh, then I eat drink what I'm drinking now, lemon water, lemon and hot water. And then I do a very quick stretch routine. So either it's mobility, I'll do some myofascial release depending on how my body feels. Um, I have a kettlebell just in the backyard here. So if the weather's nice, I'll go out there and maybe do a few swings. Something is to fire up my body, and then I open my email. I used to do it the other way around where I'd open my email first, and then the day would just get, I'm now a servant to someone else's day versus, you know, instilling my own input on my day. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I sit down, I break down my numbers or my stats or my end of day from the day before and shoot that off to my team because I want to make sure they're going on the right path. And then after that, I'll either do my own thing. I'll read a read. I'll check out maybe a video I saved the day before. I'll go through social media and just check and see what's going on in my community. And then my my clock to cut that off is usually when my son comes down the stairs. And then that's when we start his morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's solid. That's that's very, very interesting. And even just um where did you so you're finding that helps, like gargling, um, 
avocado oil and like that helps? Yeah. So I started, I started doing, um, teaching courses and doing more presenting and I'd say four or five years into my career. So probably around the 2011, 2012. And I'm one of those presenters when I'm, when I'm, when I'm in, I'm, I let my passion out. So I'm mm. yelling, I'm cussing, my voice goes up and down. Um, but what I found was I was just destroying my vocal cords. In fact, I think it might have been 2014. I pretty much lost my voice for about six weeks. Wow. After a three-day event. And that's just not, it's not conducive to health, first of all. Mm -hmm. And it's not good if you're trying to be you know, someone who consistently wants to put on a good performance or have consistency in the, in the service that I'm offering. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you pay money to come and hear me speak and then raspy, you can't hear me. That's not, that's not good business. So I spoke to actors, singers. Um, a friend of mine was really good. He's into Ayurvedic medicine. What is that? Uh, like Indian Chinese. Okay. Yeah, like Chinese medicine, Indian medicine specifically. Okay. And he's really good at talking about different type of body temperatures and types. And I have a body temperature that runs really, really hot. Makes sense because I sleep, I sweat in my sleep. Like I'm a fiery individual. So I need to make sure I'm doing things to cool my body down. So the oil pulling... It gets the mucus out, but it also brings my body down to a, uh, a certain level. And then the lemon and hot water helps with that as well. Mm. Same thing with the shower temperatures. Just little things to make sure that I'm... Regulating. Regulating, yeah, mm. yeah. Because the thing about me is if I have, you know, the purpose, purposeful podcast is perfect. If I don't, if I don't care about something, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. But if I do, I'm all in. Mm. And that often means even sacrifice of myself, my health. And how I treat my body. So I need to make sure I'm always regulating, down regulating. I got no, no problem going fast or dialing up. I need to make sure I actually manage myself over the, over a time period. Nice. nice. Yeah. So in Swanee, where were you, where were you born and raised? Uh, born in Toronto. Okay. Raised Rexdale, Martin Grove and Albion, Martin Grove, Finch area. Father Henry Carr. Mm, nice. The first Henry Carr, not the new not one. That, not, that. <laughs> not the new design. You know, Jordan sponsored one. <laughs> God bless them. But we were right in the middle of Panorama Court, which is Kipling and Finch. Yeah. So good times there. Uh, at the age 19, I moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, just outside of there, a place called Mon Valley, Pennsylvania. And I went to school, California PA, which is a division two, just outside of Pittsburgh. So I probably was there for four or five years. And then I lived in Pittsburgh for another two years. But what did you, what did you go there for? I was an athlete, so okay. I played uh, football, American football, defensive back, but I took business in school. Mm -hmm. So it was it was the best experience I can imagine because, you know, Canada, specifically Toronto, is very influenced by the U.S. And we, whether we admit it or not, we love the U.S. Everybody loves the U.S. Facts. For all yeah. its faults and all its glory, we all love the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times we're influenced by the secondhand information, media, we get little glimpses when we visit our cousins from over there. When you live in the culture, you truly get to understand why it is, in my opinion, the greatest country in the world. Really? Yeah, Yeah, because there's just so much opportunity. Mm -hmm. I remember I was there. First of all, I'm there and school is paid for. So that's a bonus that a lot of people just don't have access to, even academically, forget athletically. And I wasn't a strong student, mm -hmm. so that really closed the gap because you know I can run and catch and, and move so I can get some actual financial benefit from that, that's huge. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's a good start. Um, but then just being in that landscape, 
I remember very early on, I moved out of my dorms the second year, so my sophomore year. And I started noticing like the prices of homes were so cheap, ridiculous. 50000 60000 40000 And then halfway through my sophomore year, I was renting a house with some other football players. And the owner of the house was the uh, the pastor on the team, a spiritual advisor on the team. Okay. Nice guy. But he got shipped on a mission to go to Cambodia or some crazy country mm-hmm. like that. And he had to leave pretty much overnight. So he left me in charge to collect the rent, FedEx him the money. Well, not FedEx. What's the other one? Western Union, excuse yeah. me. If anything was broken, you know, I was trustworthy enough that I would email him, told it's broken. He would send me a couple hundred dollars. I'd get it fixed. I'd send him the difference. You were property manager, low-key. Property manager, yeah. yeah. And he'd give me, you know, 50, 60 bucks. In yeah. college, that's huge. Yeah. A couple of cases of beer and some pizzas, right? <laughs> um, and then I'm just like, just, you know, keep an eye on the things. I think I'm like 20, 21. And I'm like, well, this is a school. And there's 10,000 people in this school. And they're expanding. These houses are always going to be filled. And yes, the students run through the house. But I'm starting to look at the margins. We're paying 500 bucks. There's five guys in this room. There's no way this mortgage is going to be twenty five hundred dollars. So I started investigating, and I remember asking him. I said, "Look, if you were to sell me this house, you know how much would it cost?" And he's like, "Oh man, I don't know. I couldn't let it go for less than seventy. <laughs> My mind, I was like, "What? Yeah, seventy thousand. This house is like twenty two hundred square feet. Mm-hmm. It's got five bedrooms. Got a car lot. It's got a little apartment above the car the car spot." So I played my cool, and I was like, "Okay." I remember getting off the phone call, like, I got to go find this. Got to find it somehow. Same time I was in school, I was doing uh, an internship with a mortgage company. Okay. And uh, I was just doing basic filing, like mm. just putting stuff away. And I was it was right before the subprime boom. Mm. I don't know if you heard in yeah. Canada how things were yeah. all bad. And yes, there were some bad parts about it. But what people never talk about was that during that time period, people who could never qualify for a mortgage before were getting a mortgage. Some people shouldn't have gotten a mortgage, and I agree there was definitely some predatory behaviors going on. But imagine if your family was a family who worked hard for years, were responsible in terms of their finances, but never could get that down payment together. Yeah, yeah. They got a chance to buy a house. Mm-hmm. People got a chance to invest. Again, you know, the stat says 15% of people during that time period, maybe even more, 15 to 20, their houses went to foreclosure. Not a good thing. Mm-hmm. By no means am I saying that was cool. But that means 80 to 85% of people got in the housing game. Uh-huh. I was one of them. So I remember working at this mortgage place and I'm learning the rules. I'm checking out the, the qualifications of the mortgages. And our mortgage company would buy out a lot of loans from other smaller mortgages. And I remember this one place, anytime we had their loans come through, these loans were terrible. Like just poor paperwork. Uh, the approvals on them were disaster. Mm-hmm. It's called home loan mortgage out of Texas. And I'm like, that's the person I'm going to call. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're going to give me my first mortgage. Because clearly they don't care about approving. Yeah. And sure enough, I think I was approved within like 45 days. Mm-hmm. And all together out of pocket, I had to have, come up with $3,700. That was it to get into a home. The mortgage was like $800. First day I took over the home, it was it would have been $2,500 income coming in. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't have that $3,700, so I'm, I'm panicking off that because I don't have nothing. Yeah. So, I remember I sold my car. I had a Acura 1.6 EL at the time. I got me like 1600 bucks. 
the last thing I could do was um, I applied for OSAP. Yeah. And I was like, maybe they will know that I'm on scholarship. Maybe they won't, but let me try. I think my mom gave me $500, which was major. And then uh, I got I got approved. And they hit me nice. with like three Gs. And I took all that, put it into my closing cost, you know, everything that goes into the home, inspection, all that. Probably at the end of the day, $5,000 out of pocket. At 21, I owned my first income property. Nice. And that's that's the kind of stuff that, um, that you know, America's known for. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with every gift, there's a curse. And obviously, if you're greedy, you can go too far. Or people take advantage and there's predatory lending and there's predatory interest rates and, you know, all kind of stuff that can go along with that type of free market. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it got me in the game. So, those are things that unless you're in America and you're living it, you're you're probably only going to hear the bad sides and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of bad, but also a ton of opportunity in that place. So, that was seven years of me, you know, um, being in a, in a market like that where, you know, we used to order stuff on eBay. Mm-hmm. And sell it on campus. Throwback yeah. jerseys, fake Jordans from China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we used to throw parties at the house because I own the house now. So I would like go get forty, fifty dollars worth of liquor, put it all into like a big vat, get a keg for thirty dollars. So I maybe I'm a hundred dollars all in terms of cost, and then we'd sell cups for five dollars. Right. So this is how we're getting through our little pizza money, our little. A little Air Force One money, a little Timberland money in the winter time, but you just you just find ways, and it's it's a it's a place that you can um, make a lot happen if you have an ambitious spirit. So those are definitely times in my life that really solidified, you know, I would say my purpose. Nice. Yeah. And um, so even going back to your your high school, what was your what was your mindset in high school? Like, what, what was what was going through your head? High school, Henry, yeah, Henry Carr, again, Henry Carr was another place. I think if if college and my, my times in, in America accelerated my hustle, Henry Carr primed it for sure. Because, you know, in Rexdale, it's a, it's a, you know, it gets a rap for being a tough neighborhood, which it was. And you hear about, you know, there were definitely dudes that were, they were, you know, killers, mm-hmm. straight up. And everyone knew. Yeah. They were drug dealers. And everyone knew. They were athletes. And if you weren't one of those, you just had to, you had to be, your name had to be, have something going on. So you would say like, you know, Kobe who? Or Kobe who flips CDs? No, no, no. Kobe with running shoes, right? No, no, no. Like Kobe who does compute. Like everyone had to have a title for their name. Yeah. And, you know, I played sports and I was good at sports, but my sport was football, which wasn't as popular as basketball. I was a bench player in basketball. My friends were the starters and they were stars. Football was cool. Everyone knew I was a football player, but I started making moves even back then. Uh, I ran a car parts business when I was in high school. So we would get car parts from um, like the industrial areas, like Racine, Tabor Road, all those little back areas. And they would have these Chinese distributors that would ship parts over. You buy them for pennies on a dollar, come back to school, sell stereos, CDs. CD players, excuse me, uh, you know, the big bass, box tubes, rims, lights. I just remember always having to be about something in Rex, though, because mm. everybody was very competitive and everybody was always hustling, trying to get ahead. So that was my thing. And, and I was around, you know, my best friend, he he worked his butt off one summer and bought a CD burner. I remember that thing cost $1,000 <laughs> for a CD burner. Yeah. And this is like 97, right? Yeah. 
and he used to crush CDs. He used to sell fifteen dollars for a copy, like straight copy, and twenty for like a mix. And he had that going. Um, you know, obviously, many of my friends sold drugs. Is what it is, right? Um, some of my other friends, you know, they would uh, they would boost clothes and sell or sell clothes that were boosted. You know, other people would would cook. So that was another big hustle too, right? Like you don't have money to buy every day. Your parents aren't sending school money. You know, a couple dollars here and there. Either you cook at someone's house nearby or you take in money and someone goes for a Burger King run. And you keep the little change on the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone had something going, which is kind of the way that Rexdale is. You got you to gotta make an opportunity. Interesting. So right now in your current role at, at Good Life, after you, you, you left college... I guess did you did you go right into working for Good Life? Like, what was your transition like going into? No, there's many bumps along the way. Um, first thing is I had to leave the U.S. because I didn't have my paperwork together. So even though I had at that point I had two houses, a bunch of renters, but I didn't really take the time to make sure that I was, uh, you know, taking care of the the citizenship aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had to come back home and. and get rid of my properties and all that. And then I came back and just had a period of not doing anything. So I think from August to about six months, took some time. Um, I learned more about Toronto because I've been away for a while. Learned about the real estate market and realized, oh, it's not going to be the same. I'm not going to get three G's and some OSAP and get me a house out here. Uh, and then I wanted to get back into a craft. Like, I knew that I needed to make moves and I wanted to be free. But at the same time, too, I needed capital. And I needed to, I needed to honestly make a profile for myself again because I was so caught up in living in the U.S. I closed my bank accounts. I didn't have a credit card here. I didn't file taxes. I was a ghost. Mm-hmm. So here I am, 26 years old. And this is when all my friends are now getting their first condos or, you know, making moves. And I'm, I can't even get a $200 credit card. And that was all my fault. Imagine I was living high on the horse just a couple of years before. Two houses, a couple of cars, motorcycles. I had a boat. I had a boat we never put in the water. The boat never went in the water, bro. Interesting. It just sat in the driveway. <laughs> when we had the boat, we'd sit in it and drink beer. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I can't even get a cell phone without somebody co-signing. My brother co-signing for me, so... I knew I wanted to put myself into a working mindset to build back some credibility, get some capital going. But at the same time, too, I wanted to be something I really liked, and I wanted something that had flexibility. So when I started investigating about personal training, I said, all right, thinking what everybody thinks, you can just work a little bit and go work on your side hustle. And flexibility, right? And then I realized, whoa, this is a whole, a whole hustle in itself. And it's a hustle I love because, one – it's challenging you to learn more about the body. Now, though I was an athlete, I really didn't understand the intricacies and really the have appreciation for the body until I got hurt at the end of my career. I broke my leg, tore my uh, ligaments in my ankle in my last game. So my rehab time through there made me more curious about the body. So all of a sudden now that I can have a profession where I'm investigating the body at all times, that's kind of cool. Two, there's a whole business side of it and a sales side that I like because I probably could sell couches, but I don't give a shit about couches. Mm-hmm. I'm selling people 
you know, something I believe in, which is health and fitness, prosperity, wellness. So there's, you know, but it's not easy because people are a little bit, especially at that time, they weren't trying to hear it. In that time, the people who were in the gym were bodybuilders or aerobics people or athletes. This is like 2008, 2009. Um, and then I just realized how much I didn't know. So I, I, I what was supposed to be uh, a means of income while I focus on my hustle became my hustle. And I remember there was a time when I wasn't really doing that. I was still trying to do three or four different things and none of them were panning out. And I was like, let me just see what happens if I focus on this fitness career. So I became a trainer at Brampton, Brampton City Center, um, level one, which is like the lowest level. They don't have it no more, like $13 an hour. There was no manager there. It was just the guy who opened the gym in the morning. Interesting. And then just like, go figure it out. And um, those days were hard, very different than what it is now because now most uh, companies, Good Life, any of the big companies pay a base. There's no base. I got one week base and it was like, good luck. And all that just made me super sharp. And then also being able to make connections with people in, in Brampton where people often think, you know, Brampton's not a progressive city. You know, because they maybe look at the fact that it's highly visible minority or new Canadians. You know, I I use that challenge to shape messaging and get to know like what's important to this community, and that was a very very important exercise because at that time, a lot of people in the fitness industry were saying, "Yeah, it's cool, it's a good business, but you got to go where rich people are." Or you got to be in Yorkville. You got to be downtown because people out here don't spend money. They don't have money. That's I hear that a lot. They yeah. don't have money. And then again, my curious brain's like, well, okay, maybe people downtown have a income of, you know, six figures or more. I get that. But I started doing research and actually Brampton has the highest household income at the time in Ontario. Why? Because you have maybe mom who is a, is a, immigrant and she has a job making 50 maybe dad's making 50 60 but then their uncle lives there and he's bringing in 45 and then you know the kids are working because they got to work and they're bringing in 30 so all together you may have a household bringing in two three hundred thousand dollars it's just broken up between five or six people that's money in the house and you know it is because what do most immigrants do come live together build themselves up and then buy another house so there's cash flow coming in so once you kind of identify that, you now have to say, okay, now how can I make it a priority to these people or this, this group, not these people sound like Don Cherry, <laughs> but to this group, what, how do I make what I'm saying relevant to their ears? And um, the more I got to know the market, the more I started realizing that, wow, a lot of our cultures are they're dying fast. South Asian, Caribbean, African, they come over. We work, 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 work. We put our health secondary. We're not sleeping. This the, this change from, you know, organic, locally sourced food to processed food, it's waxing us. Heart attack, high blood pressure, um, diabetes. So now I have a, a why, and then I have an opportunity. So now I just have to make sure my messaging fits. So I'm talking to somebody, and they're, 28 years old and you know they're smoking they're eating 
high fat diets because a lot of the South Asian diets are super high fat, high carbohydrate, low protein diets. And you know, maybe they're talking to me about getting some muscle. I have to be like, nah, bro, let's, let's talk about your blood pressure. Let's talk about your body fat percentage. And then when I start making that clear, let's talk about your schedule. You're going to school for six hours and you're working eight hours and you're sleeping for four and you're going to your second job. Okay. And then you start talking about, well, tell me about your uncle. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your brother. Tell me about your dad. Heart attack, diabetes, heart attack. All right, man. Tell me about your finances. All right, you're not making a lot of money now, but, you know, in two years' time, you want to be living on your own because you're bringing your wife over. You want to be here with 10 people in the house. So I'm asking you for an investment in yourself now when you need it the most. It's not going to come two years from now when you have your own house and, you know, mm. you finish your IT degree and now you're working 100 hours there. Just framing it a different way. Framing a different way. And you have the evidence of, you know, father, brother, uncle, grandfather. Then you understand the struggle. This is not someone who's unhealthy because they're just enjoying the lavish life. They're unhealthy because they're sacrificing their health to get ahead. Okay? And then dollars and cents says, okay, you're making forty grand, four thousand out of forty grand is a lot of money, but it's gonna be worse when you have your own bills to pay. So you might as well get it done now while you only pay four hundred dollars to to live where you are because everyone puts in, right? And then the amount of people that are like, Yeah, that makes sense. So now I, I I'm also doing something good for people that may not have been reached before because I don't see many visible minorities in fitness mm-hmm. unless they're athletes, right? So we're touching people that needed the the message and I'm making some money for myself and making a name for myself because if you start, you know, creating profit in those areas, people notice. And then that gave me a shot to come downtown in 20, 2011, opening up the big gym on um, Young and Richmond. Young and Richmond, where we met. Yeah. And that, that thing's never looked back. Like, that's the most successful good life, but it's also industry-wise. Like Everybody looks at that gym, all the competitors, all of the uh, – anyone who's looking to build U.S. companies because it's an example of a big space in a metropolitan city that has high expenses but brings in a high return. Mm-hmm. And we started, I started that from scratch with, with the team, like six. So, you know, I think it was more or less just seeing the business challenge, which I love. But then that was the first time I could tie it to the physical challenge or the physical part of it, which is the body and the two of them together. I'm still, I'm still hustling at it. I still love it. Interesting. Yeah. And you've grown through good life. You started out as a trainer and then I think you, I think even in good life, their structure is, is really like life is a really good place to learn how to run a business, not even be a good trainer because they force you to go through the process Mm -hmm. and they don't allow you to skip steps. Mm -hmm. I've seen you go through the trainer, you know, assistant manager, assistant, you know, um, yeah, 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 regional manager, which is your position now. Like just talk to me a little bit about that just briefly. Yeah. Like good life. When people forget, and I think it's easy to forget now because 41 years, it's, it's, it's a startup, right? You have one crazy guy in the seventies who says he's going to open a gym. Yeah. Like now, if you say I'm going to invest money in a gym, everyone's like, yeah, cool. Good idea. Good luck. Imagine the seventies, like crazy. Mm -hmm. And what they've done well is scale and repeat. 
scale to repeat because it's very, very hard to scale a service. It's hard to scale a service, period. And then it's hard to scale a service that is so interchangeable with people, right? Like trainers, you can't have 10 trainers who are the same because 10 clients aren't the same. So there's a few fundamentals that you can stand on while allowing for a lot of ambiguity or agility in the business. But those fundamental points, I did what everybody does. I rebelled against them. (laughs) I listened. I started to understand them, and then I made them part of my process. And that's just something that no matter what level I'm on, now I cover downtown Toronto. I cover northern uh, Ontario. Um, I do a lot of work in the GTA areas. They're extremely different. Different clientele, different associates, different everything. But um, those fundamentals give you the same starting point and give you the same course guidance when you're looking at things that are very variable, right? And I think that only comes from a certain type of culture. It's a culture of do it this way, but also tell me what you're thinking. If it's just tell me what you're thinking, then everybody has an opinion and you never get any type of structure. If it's just do it this way, then it never adapts. And, you know, it's guilty of both. But for the most part, I've always had an experience where I can learn a process, stick to it, and then come back and add my own input or challenge it once I feel like I can do something to evolve it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the beautiful parts about working with people who are kind of on the same page is like, you know, no one gets hung up too long on things staying the same or seeing it one way. It's just you have to make sure if you know what you're talking about, if you're saying we should go a different course, right? Mm. And um, that's been the cool part. Like last couple of years specifically, now that the industry's evolved and there's way more offerings and there's so many things that are cool in fitness. And a lot of them we don't do. And it's cool to try them out. Like I have memberships to three or four different places other than Good Life. I have friends that work for a bunch of places. But then also remember, oh, yeah, that's also why we don't do that, right? Like some of the cool offerings are are amazing, but I can see how I can't spin every day in the same studio for a year, right? And I, I sometimes I don't need to have a DJ playing all the hits while I'm working out. It's nice sometimes, but sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. I like the tech and the wearables, and it helps me be more accountable and track. But then there's nothing they lift in with someone else. Right. Um, there's nothing about just being in an environment where everybody's working on their craft and there might be a hundred people in the building and you're swapping in sets and everyone's spotting like those kind of things. You can't, you can't really replicate with a lot of the new services that are out. And then it's also amazing just to see other people who believe in the service that they're creating or coaching and then pushing to, to, further their business. Like I still train twice a week at 6.30 a.m. I still go into the club like I used to 11 years ago and there's going to be at least a dozen or more trainers on the floor because they're doing what I did 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. So just being in that environment, there's something about that from a uh, peer-to-peer group and then there's something about it if you happen to be a client. Like you feel that energy. Right? Like if I'm going at 6.30, the people who are coming in to see me, that's, they're doing the same thing in their own profession. 
And, you know, like, like I said, online training has given me a lot of perspective. I've got to meet and talk to people all over the world, but that's very different. That's not the same as, you know, being on the turf at 6.30 a.m. with nine other trainers. And I got my group of like six or eight people and they have their nine people. That's 30 people who all have the same mindset who are in one space at one time. Mm-hmm. And these aren't just regular people. Like they're going to leave after the workout and go into the law firm or go into BMO or go around the corner to their tech startup. You know what I'm saying? Like those are, those are the people who are shaping the city. So, you know, as much as there's so many things coming into the space, I do like the fact that some things are, don't change. Interesting. Yeah. And you as a trainer, I haven't seen you from what I remember and from what I see on Instagram as a trainer, you're very good at not saying a lot. Yeah. So there's a lot of trainers that I find and that I witness and that I've been around where they're teaching clients something and they're giving them a lot of information, Um, but you're really good at saying small key things and getting the, getting them to do what you want them to do. Yeah. Um, How do you, can you describe that a bit? Yeah. I think that's, that's a, First of all, thank you for noticing that's, that that's definitely intentional. That's not by uh, by mistake. It's the idea that I'm helping someone who already knows what they're doing execute it on their own, and that's a that's a, a philosophy that I use with my management team. I use it with my kids. Even if you're telling stuff to people submissive or subservient people, that's the relationship they want. And that's okay. That's available to them, right? A lot of people feel like instruction needs to be um, curated and given in a way that they kind of just follow a string, which is just fine. But my coaching and the people I connect with, they're smart people. They're super smart and they're super accomplished. So I have to get them to understand the why and then allow them to figure it out for themselves. And that doesn't, that doesn't come when I'm talking at them. So I always make sure in my training that I give a very good demonstration. I reverse engineer what I need done. And then I know the, uh, points of emphasis in my explanation for each person. It could be literally one word. Can you give an example? Um, like kettlebell swing. Yeah. So I use a lot of kettlebells and, um, they're easy to quick. The best thing in terms of someone who wants to get high impact with like not a lot of time or high effectiveness with low amount of uh, opportunity. But there also could be a disaster if you get hurt. So we'll skill the hinge. We'll skill the plank because really it's a ballistic hinge to a plank. And then we'll do certain things that allow for quick correction. So in other words, if somebody's not going far enough back with the kettlebell, I can say, go back, go back, go back, go back. I can say, talk, talk, talk. I grab a plate put the plate behind them. They smack the plate and makes a noise. They come back a second swing and they don't go back far enough, no noise. Third swing, they hit the plate, makes a noise. That's now kinetic, visual example, right? Uh, sometimes I'll do the other way around. So maybe they're letting the bell go too far out in front of them or swinging too high. I'll put them in front of like a squat rack. So if you go too far, bang, hit the wall. and then, Or you hit the, the rack and it makes a huge noise. Nobody gets hurt, but it's now... Allowing that person to course correct themselves. And if it's the wrong person, it doesn't work. If it's the right person, it takes a bit of um, back and forth agility. And it can be frustrating for both of you. Mm -hmm. 
But then you also have to remember that this is the kind of person that wants to figure it out on their own. And you get to that frustration point, they dial in and then they have it. And it just makes for um, a few things. It makes for a, a group environment versus a hierarchical, you know, dominant submissive relationship, which I'm dominant, but not because I'm telling you I'm dominant. I'm dominant because you feel my presence, but I treat you like an equal. And then what it also does, it, it creates a lot of reserve energy for me. So I'm not... Mm, yeah. Imagine I'm telling people to do all the time. I wouldn't be sitting here with you on a Monday morning, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes it takes a little longer. It takes... You want to make sure you have the right people because the wrong people, time will not help. And the wrong doesn't mean they're wrong or I'm wrong. It just means they need a different type of style. Um and thankfully in fitness and in leadership, there's hundreds of styles, right? Um, but, you know, in leadership, it may take a little extra time because that person either is defending their position or they're highly intelligent, so they don't see my way. And because I'm not giving a thousand instructions, I have to slightly course correct when the opportunities come. Mm-hmm. But once that lands, now you, you build actually another leader. And whether it's a training room floor or people I work with or my business partner, there's a high expectation that we all can operate on our own. When we come together, it's because we're moving the conversation or the business a step further. We're not necessarily babysitting or motivating. Like You don't need a lot of words for what we do. It's quickly, it's like a coach, time out, come to the bench. Okay, do this next time. The right players, like, got it. The wrong players, taking it personal, shutting down. Like, that's not how you move the game forward, right? Mm -hmm. You got to have people who are efficient, efficient, understand the relationship, smart, want to get it on their own. And then your coaching can be very, very succinct. Yeah. Neat, neat, neat. Now, just before we move on to the purpose realm, I've watched your, your interactions with, with your son on Instagram and social media. I haven't met him in person, um, but I'm sure you've read Outliers, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm a big component of Outliers, especially with kids in the sense that um, I think in today's day and in, in day and age, a lot of, and I'm not a parent myself, um, not yet, <laughs> but a lot of parents, they, they pacify their kids with, like, let's say, you know, your kid's going off in the corner doing his thing mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, here, watch this video and yeah. stay in that corner. Yeah. But you don't really do that from what I see. You you interact with your kid. You you talk to him like, not like a baby, but like he's a... I talk to him like a grown-up. Like a grown-up, yeah, for right? Sure. For and sure. I think that's powerful because that's something that... It's something... Like, kids are intelligent. You know what I mean? Extreme. And you've got to give them the credit for having to talk to them. So, if you're, if you're talking to them in a different tone, you're you're not really helping them, in my opinion. Yeah. It, well, first thing, parenting is hard. So, yeah, I don't, I can however imagine. people choose to parent, I try not to be judgmental. And yeah. there are times, for sure, I tell them to go put something on TV, yeah. grab his iPad, for sure. Okay, okay. But sometimes I just can't, can't deal with him. Yeah. But I think what my wife and I have done by design is exactly what we're saying about the coaching. Like we're committing to doing it a little bit tougher so that he gets the lessons himself. And even down to our language, like when he wastes his dinner, I'm not going to say to him, uh, you know, mommy and daddy spent money on that. 
And my wife, like, she, she loves my son. She will go and buy this guy $8 grilled cheeses from the store around the corner. <laughs> it's gourmet cheese, gourmet bread. I can't believe it sometimes. And then so he'll be like, yeah, I don't want it. My parents would say something like, you know how hard I spent on that, this, that, that, and the other. Um, you, you have a, you're, you're an Afghanian background, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. for sure. So yeah. it's just like guilt, right? Yeah. Straight yeah. guilt. Uh, my mom's Guyanese, so mm-hmm. whatever my dad didn't do, my mom picked right up on it. Interesting. And that didn't work because it, it wore off on me. So yeah. when I say to my son, we say things like, you know, you don't have to eat it, but some people don't have that to eat. And we just talk to him from that point of view. And sometimes he gets it. Sometimes he'll be like, oh, okay, and eat it. And sometimes he doesn't. But the point is, that's going to register at some point mm-hmm. in his life. And I think everything we do with him and eventually my daughter is not the easy way, but it's going to, he's going to figure it out on his own. And then have his own thoughts on to why we're saying it versus it just becoming something that's a knee-jerk reaction or something we just say. And what really helps with that, Kobe, is the fact that I live on the same street that he goes to school. It's the fact that I have people on my team who are very self-sufficient. You know, my clients are self-sufficient. Like, I'm in a network of very, very high-performing, purposeful people so that we get a lot done with... I wouldn't say a little inputs, but we're efficient with the inputs. So, you know, if my day at work waxes me and I come home and don't have that extra capacity, I'm going to pass on the iPad. You know what I'm saying? If I'm sitting in traffic for 90 minutes to get home, I'm not going to have the same amount of patience to go the long road with him. At the end of the day, he's more important than any business or anything we have going on. So he needs to get my best coaching. He needs to get my best everything. But it helps when everybody in my in my network, it are, they're not too far behind them. They're all wicked people themselves. I would spend more time with anybody if I could that I work with, hang out with, uh, train. So I think that common energy allows for me to get a lot done because I'm also super ambitious. and I'm not the kind of person to sacrifice my goals for my kids. I think that's a recipe for disaster. But I can get what I need to get done and still have a lot left over for him. So if he's, you know, testing us, or if he's not getting it, or if I have to explain it four or five times, it's I have the capacity for it. And it will, it definitely will. I can just see how he interacts with other kids. Like he 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 has a lot more thought. He's a lot more purposeful to why he does things. And I'll give you a quick story, right? We lived over on Broadview. So his daycare was on Broadview. We move over here in July before school starts. There's like 20 kids on the street. And then he plays soccer over in the park, just over there on Logan. So he's got a good network. He starts kindergarten over here and everybody flows down to the same school. So he's got all the kids from his old daycare, his new friends on the street and his old soccer friends. So this kid looked like he was at like a 20 year high school reunion. He's like, Joe, Ayla, Sam. He's saying hi to everybody. He's bringing people together. And then I watched and saw some kids that first they didn't know anybody. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even think about that. They're crying. They don't want their parents to leave. Everyone's lined up. All the parents are watching the kids going to school. My kid takes off and runs into the park. I'm like, oh, here we go. And um, I'm just about to like get after him. And he went and grabbed a little boy from his old daycare that he hasn't seen in probably eight months that didn't have anybody with him. And he's like, I didn't want him to be by himself. Mm. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I went home and, like, damn near cried. Because I was like, he, he's getting it. He's understanding, like, 
he's seen things that I don't think I would have saw at that age or even understood sometimes as an adult, right? That's crazy. There's, there's grown men, grown men and women who don't, can't even do that. Can't even do that. And I was thinking about was like, oh, my kid's out of line. He's embarrassing me. Yada, yada, yada. And he's like, he saw the kid and the kid was like walking the long way to the line because he didn't have anybody with him. And then now afterwards, I remember that that his, the kid's mother, you know, she drops him to a school early because she's got to book it to her job. And it's the first day, like almost everybody could. It's hard because I know she didn't have a choice there. I'm sure she'd want to be there on this first day, but she had to leave him early and go to her job, right? So here I am living 150 yards away, and my son who gets it, his dad takes him to school every day. His mom picks him up every single day. His dad picks him up with his mom sometimes. He's getting that. I got to find someone who doesn't have that. And I think that just comes from the extra attention he gets and the extra patience. So it's 100% by design, but not just design in the parenting. It's design in business, lifestyle, relationships, work, who I work with. My boss is one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life because she gets the same thing. So our phone calls and our time is like, boom, boom, boom. And we move a mountain in an hour. Um, my team... We got 150 people that are like dialed in, like really dialed in different stages of the development, but everybody's hungry and wants to move their own life forward, their, their fitness forward. They're still figuring out their why, like we all are, but everybody's intentional. And then our clients are really, really good. And going back to what we said about the change in the industry, I think some of the offerings help to, for lack of a better word, lance off some of the people that maybe weren't our best clients. Right, like some people want to be in the environment where they're entertained in their workouts, and it's more Instagram worthy. That's cool, man. It's cool, I like that sometimes too. But then there's other people who are like, "Yo, I, I run a law firm. I got two kids from one marriage, one from my next. I got, I let's get it done." And um, you know, having that person with the same associate has the same mindset. And a club with a leader has the same mindset than myself. And then, you know, it kind of, it makes for things to be very efficient. So, cool. Yeah, by design, my friend, purpose. Powerful stuff, powerful stuff. So, what's next for Enswani? Good question. Uh, so, last year, partner in Charlotte and I, we launched a company called Be Element, which is education for fitness professionals, specifically in the space of business skills relationship building, you know, conversations that are about, you know, closing the gap when your clients aren't doing what they need to be doing, organization, just the the skills that aren't always covered because we often spend our energy on assessments, performance, rehab, stuff like that, which is very important. So we have um, a full course calendar launching actually March 13th, and we do it one course at the end of every quarter just to give people a chance to put our work into practice and then follow up because business skills do take a bit of time to refine. Um, in terms of my job right now, just trying to grow as many leaders as we can to take over different spots of the company, different spots of the industry. By the end of this year, moving to 2021, they want to have more of a national presence. So I'm learning a lot about Northern Ontario now and learning the differences that make cities and regions different, but also the similarities. So with that experience, I'm hoping to take that 
wherever I'm meeting next, out west, out east, don't know, but I'll go. Um, and yeah, I'm getting my daughter off to a good start. I mean, she's she's eight weeks in. She's healthy, happy. My wife does amazing with her. At the end of the year, my wife will be going back to work, and she's a hustler herself. She's in law. Mm-hmm. She's a lawyer, so making sure she's supported and, and making sure she's reaching for her goals because she's definitely had to sacrifice a bit for the kids. But, you know, she's a very, very good professional. And then, yeah, just playing the cards that are dealt, man. I'm not, uh, I know what I need to be doing. How I do it, who I do it for is never that really important to me. I just know I need to be connecting with good people and helping them move to the next stage of their goals. As a business owner, the more you can leverage your time, the better it is for your company. There is this amazing online resource called Fiverr, where you can hire someone for just $5 to do just about any task for you. Whether it be logo design, market research, videography, or website building, Fiverr has it all. Please go to imkobe.com forward slash resources and click on the Fiverr icon to make an account. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Welcome to the Purpose Round, where we ask our entrepreneurs the right questions that really bring out the purpose behind their business and their entrepreneurial journey. So what is your purpose? Uh, Connect with good people, help them get the stuff they want, the things they want. What is an everyday habit that adds value to your purpose? Music. Yeah, I think there's a lot of of secrets to quoted in music. And what, what what genre specifically? I listen to everything from the blues, John Coltrane, all the way to Rick Ross and Little Baby. So, Jeez. everything. Okay. If you could have a conversation with one person living or dead, who would it be and why? Hove. Yeah. I think I need to be around his energy and get his mindset. Because I, I understand it and there's traces of it in me. But I think to get it from the source would be ideal. Neat. What is your main strategy for organizing your day? Started early and um, like write down everything. I write down all my appointments, all my phone calls, all my meetings. Because, you know, if you're 80% compliant to it, it's probably going to be a pretty organized day. And leave space for chaos too. There's actually stuff in my schedule that's like, it says free time, which means anything can go in there. Mm -hmm. What was your worst moment and what did you learn from it? Worst moment was probably breaking my leg. So October 11, 2005 in Slippery Rock, New York. Uh, first quarter, 7.15 p.m. Broke my leg in one of the first plays of the game. Uh, I think I just learned that, one, your body's a gift. Treat it as such. And, um, you know, just be, be a little more humble. Be humble to the fact that anything can change at any moment. And... Um, no, at that, time, that point, I pretty much thought I was invincible. So it helped for me to see we're just soft targets at the end of the day. So be very thankful for what you have and be humble. If you had to build a business from the ground up with only $100, how would you leverage that? I would I'd probably use that money into some sort of value-offered presentation. So I would leverage the money and my skills, which is, you know, selling so i would probably have an event space hundred dollars isn't going very far but i'd get as many people as i could um 
into that room because from there I'd pick one or two people to actually help me. So I'm a big believer in teams. Just use your network. Yeah, I need to. Money. You, yeah, use use whatever that money can get me. You know, maybe I'd send out a hundred or a thousand uh, handwritten cards. I just need to connect to as much people as possible because that's the only way I can take a next step in the business. What's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I ever received, Joe Jackman, 2009. He said, how are you ever going to get to the goals you want to reach and the money you want to make if you never learn to work with other people? List your top two most influential books. Uh, Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki, number one. Uh, number two... I should say Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill because I'm reading it, I'm rereading it again. Yeah, we'll go with that. Outwitting the Devil, Napoleon Hill. And tell us something that you think is true about business that most people don't agree with you on. Everything's fair. Everything's fair. Whether it's a contract that you think is not, it is. Because in that contract, there's things that you did not do to be in the position that the other person's in. Uh, Diddy and Mace is the one that's trending right now. It's like if someone gives you a contract you don't like, you don't have to take it. But if you feel that it's no, not leveraged in your favor, it's probably because the person offering to you did the shit you just were not willing to do. Um, so everything is fair. It's just how you choose to look at it. And then if you choose to engage in it or not. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Nobody agrees with me on that one. <laughs> Is there any last piece of value you can leave with our listeners? Uh, I would just say, you know, just touching on that last point, it's just perspective. I think perspective is everything. <clears throat> and um, certain perspectives or having certain perspectives give you a next step. Having other perspectives don't. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, go back to what I said about everything being fair. If I don't like the terms of my agreement, my next step is don't take it. Or it's take it and figure out how I can be in a better position the next time. If some people just use a perspective of it's unfair or it's inhumane or whatever you want to say, like the only thing I can do in the next step is wait for that other person to change, which to me is no power at all. So perspectives, in my opinion, are what fuel your next step, whether it's to engage in business or not, at least you're very clear on what you're doing if you're able to see all sides of the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's not, not easy, but liberty is like a muscle that you have to exercise and, you know, think about all the things that didn't go your way or the people who you have strife or contention with. It's like, how can I think about what that other person is trying to say or what they're going through? Because it doesn't mean I'm going to agree, but it gives me, um, if I know the plays, I can navigate better. I don't know the play, and I'm only thinking about my side, I'm probably going to be more in the reactive state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how can the Purposeful Story family reach out to you and follow you on your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, you can find me. Uh, Instagram is probably the best way. Insuani Bafo, N-S-U-A-N-I dot Bafo. If you Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, I'm the only person with that name because my dad put two words together versus taking a traditional uh, Ashanti name. So, 
N-S-U-A-N-I, you'll find me just about anywhere, even Gmail, twani.batfo.gmail.com. Yeah. Fair enough. Thank you, Purposeful Story family, for listening to the Purposeful Story podcast. And remember, live every day with purpose so all your actions are clear. Talk soon. That's all for this episode. I hope listening to this podcast left you with valuable information that either strengthened your purpose or helped bring you closer to finding your purpose. We all have a different journey in life, and this podcast is in support of everyone's purposeful journey. Thank you so much for tuning in, because without you, there is no Purposeful Story podcast. Please feel free to email me at info at iamkobe.com and let me know what you thought of this episode. To help spread the valuable information this podcast has to offer, all I ask is for you to subscribe to the podcast via the Apple Podcast app, Podcast Addict, Google Play Music, or CastBox. Give a rating and pass this podcast on to one friend that you feel could benefit from this information. Don't forget to follow I Am Kobe Talks on Instagram for updates on new episodes and go to IamKobe.com forward slash purposeful story for more valuable content. Special thanks to DJ Anna for the beats and Lala Writes for the editing. Before you go, please remember that purpose drives your actions and your actions are a result of your purpose. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon. Wow, wow, wow.